0: Forever,
1: <laughs> Dog!
2: Just Between Us Hey! Just Between Us Hey! Hello! I'm Allison Maskin.
0: I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and frequent crier-er. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, wink, and I love Halloween. Halloween, Halloween. Did you like my song? Yeah. You should honestly, (laughs) fuck you, Danny Elfman. You should be doing Nightmare Before Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Danny Elfman who, baby? (laughs) I went to a, a crazy Halloween party. Ooh, can you tell us about it or did you have to sign an NDA? No NDA. Uh, so I moved to an undisclosed location in the woods. You love to make yourself sound so mysterious. I do live in a cabin in the woods. You can see it behind me. And so we met our neighbors and I would never usually like become super close with our, my neighbors, but Mal loves to, as we've discussed on this show. And so our neighbor, who's like a woman in her 50s, said, you got to come to this Halloween party. It's going to be crazy. It's crazy. Every year you have to go. We were like, okay, can you tell us anything about it? And it was like, no, you just have to come see it. Last year, the theme was the purge and the actual cops got called to break it up. So we were like, okay. They were like, it's unlike anything you've ever experienced. We were like, okay. And then day of, we were like, so can you give us the address so we can drive there? And she was like, no, just follow my car. And we were like, okay, 30 minutes away to a different location. So what we, we did every single thing that would get you murdered. She, it's her, her son, her son's girlfriend and baby mother. And then her husband, who's like 10 years younger than her. They're all, they're all rural people from this area. And they're so, they're fun. They're great. But so they, and then like another couple friends. And so they, we drive, we're driving there. I, for the third time in my life, have decided to put my contacts in. Oh boy! But on the way there, I realized that I have put them in the opposite eye. How different are your prescriptions? I can't see. I can't see anything. Mal and I are dressed like Robin Hood and One of the Merry Men. We have bows and arrows. I can't see. Like everything is like if you did like this is the setup for a scary movie, you'd be like there's too many coincidental things happening.
2: How did it take you so long to realize you couldn't see?
0: Great question. I don't know. I was I was high on the thrill of the party. I'm highly skeptical of this story. I really couldn't see. I mean, so then we get there, and it's like a cemetery from hell. It's like there's fire, there's ghosts, like on it's 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 done up like a theme park. But it's a person's house. It's just their house, and they own a bunch of land. They own like tons of land. Go inside their house to use the restroom. Full like just decked out. Every last detail is Halloween. Every last detail. It's incredible. There's a woman and she's like the mom of the house and she's dressed as old Pennywise, like the Tim Curry Pennywise. And she's like, oh yeah, our daughter wanted to dress like young Pennywise so I could dress. So she told me I had to dress like old Pennywise. Me and Mel are expecting like a 14-year-old. Out comes a four-year-old dressed as Pennywise. (gasps) That's spooky. We were like, oh, is that she?" and they're like, yeah, we're really spooky. And so they've raised a spooky child. And the, I was like, we like your costume. And she's like, thanks, doesn't care. Full, in full Pennywise garb. And there's a ton of people there. We're all like, what is going on? So, okay. Our neighbor who we're with gets a phone call. And a bu- we look around and a bunch of people at the party have gotten a f- phone calls at the same time. They pick up, it's like from, it says from the county, the name of the county. But they pick up and it's like, Hi. This is a message from the. It's a recording. This is a message from the county. There is a uh inmate, white male inmate, 6'3", on the loose. He has escaped from Saint Clair's Asylum, <gasps> and he is and he uh is is infected with a disease, and it's highly contagious. Please be on the lookout. We're all like, oh my god, we hang up our phones. We're like, what? Thirty minutes goes by, then a text comes through on everyone's phone, and it's like, uh, hi, uh, same thing. Like, be on the lookout, whatever. I should also say that when you walked in, there was a demon priest and he threw water on you. So he was throwing water on everyone, being like, get out, hell, get out of here, whatever. So all of a sudden, there's like a big school bus rolls up and all these guys in hazmat suits get out. And they're like, we're looking for the infected party. He's been here. All Some of you are infected. And they pull out black lights. And they're shining them on people in the crowd. And some of us who got hit with the holy water two hours before, it was actually like glowing fluid. So when they went around saying who was infected with the black light, certain people lit up. Are you enjoying this or is this horrifying? I'm like every step of the way, I'm like, what more is going to (laughs) happen? So then they split us up based on who lit up and who didn't. I lit up and Mal did, and they split us up. But then Mal begged the guy, can Gabby come with me? Like, they can't see. They can't see. So the guy was like, I don't really believe you, but fine. But he wasn't letting anyone else. Also, at a certain point during the party, all, a lot of the guys that we were with disappeared. So when the hazmat guys rolled up, I was like, that's obviously like, you know, that's obviously like the guys who's kind of, we were like, hey, where'd they go at the party? But Mal is so sweet. Mal was like, who are those guys? And I'm like, Mal. So they took us on a school bus out to the middle of these people's land what? and dropped us there. And then there was a whole thing set up where there were like tents and you had to go to a radio station and it was like announced. And we went to this radio station. It was telling you what next thing to do. And there was like a tent with like ripped up sides and fake blood. And we had to walk, like go across this like whole like theme park thing that they had built. And then there was a big tent. And four people could go in at a time, and the tent was filled, of, filled with smoke, and there were keys hanging from the ceiling, and you had to find the right key. And then, if you found the key, you got the antidote. But out of the four people, only two people could find the key. So I found the key, and Mal didn't. So I got the antidote. I got to unlock, I had to go to the next part and unlock a suitcase and get the antidote, which was like in like a, a blood bag, like a red blood bag, and rip it open and drink it. And it was fruit juice. And Mal, and so in the game, so then we got to the end and in the game, Mal died and I lived. It was, I mean, I'm not even describing it correctly because it was basically like, if you got the key, you got to leave. So Mal and I got separated. And then there were all the whole way there. There were like body, fake bodies hanging from the trees and people were jumping out of the bushes and scaring you. This is not their job. These are not professional people. This is like, they prep for this for months and they're just normal horror movie fans. (laughs) And everyone in the county knows about it. Like everyone in the county is like, I can't wait for this Halloween. Like, what are they going to do? Whatever. So I open it. I drink the juice. It's like, whatever. I was like, honestly, I can't believe how quickly I drank that juice knowing how many things had to come together. I was like, they were like, okay, the game's over. I was like, I'm stupid. Like, imagine if, like, they were, like, now the next, the juice is LSD. So now the half the party that got the antidote is, like, dosed. You know, like, how did I know that that was actually the end of the thing? You didn't. No, I had no idea. I just, like, so, but it was all, like, so meticulously set up. It took a few, I mean, maybe, like, three hours to go through the whole thing. It was wild. I'm not even covering all of it. Was it fun? It was super fun. They dropped us in the, literally, like, in the middle of this, these people's land with flashlights. So I posted about this on TikTok and I can see Melissa's face and I posted about this on TikTok and a bunch of people were like, this is the whitest thing I've ever heard. This is so dumb. Like you went every step of the way. It was like, please murder me. Please murder me. Please murder me. It was so fun. And at the end, I, I drank juice and everybody got pizza. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well,
2: this is just between us, variety show filled with heartfelt advice ridiculous
0: games (laughs) and brutal honesty. Also in classic me fashion, when I found the key and me and the other guy lived and Mal and the, uh, the fourth person in our group died, I was like, I can't even see. And I won. I can't even see. And I won. And Mal was like, wow.
2: (laughs) As somebody who wears contacts, you would have been able to tell immediately if you couldn't see. So this whole story, I don't believe a word of it.
0: You think I made up this entire
2: party? I think you made up the part about not being able to see because it doesn't make any goddamn sense. You would notice immediately if you put it in the wrong eye, if your prescriptions were so vastly different that you then couldn't see later.
0: I have only worn contacts three times. so It I was doesn't like, matter. You know if you can see or not. I thought that maybe they just had to settle in. <laughs>
2: I need you to get back to me about what your contact prescriptions are, so that okay. I understand the difference between the two eyes and how big of a problem this actually was. And
0: that's what you're hung up on in this Absolutely, entire story. I am.
2: One hundred percent, I am.
0: <laughs> every st- I got on the school bus. I got dropped off. Like every step of the way, I didn't know the address of this place. Like, yikes! Melissa is deeply disappointed in both of us. <laughs> But did right, Mal's costume really worked for them. I know. I have really good looking partners, which is great. And also, whenever I post them, all the comments are how good looking the people I'm dating are and nobody cares about me, which is fine. But it's just like tons of comments from women like Melissa thirsting over Mal. You don't even know what John looks like. I think I saw one picture of him. He's blonde. I've just said that.
2: I don't think you know what he looks like.
0: He's locked down. There's no social media. There's nothing.
2: Nothing. Good luck. Anyway, we've got a great episode for you this
0: week. (laughs) Melissa's going to kill us. We're about to get fired. Melissa's Um. so mad. Well, this week we're going to be talking to Ellen Scanlon all about weed and anxiety. And later we'll be talking about what we would do
2: if we were president. What changes we would make to this okay country. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Eli, Kentucky. I've never been to Kentucky.
0: I have. I went to the Louisville Slugger Museum.
2: Oh my God. So did John. (laughs) John paid extra to get his own signature on the bat instead of like (laughs) a famous person's signature. (laughs) Incredible. Anyway, story for another time. Hello, Gabby, and Allison. I've been a fan of JBU since the YouTube days, and your work has often helped me to better understand myself and others. Thanks! TLDR, what is romance? And specifically, what distinguishes romantic love from platonic love or a romantic relationship from a close friendship? I, 24, they, them, am asexual and have previously only dated women. My best friend, he, him, is gay and aromantic. We have agreed to marry each other in a few years, and I am thrilled. Aww. We have known each other for six years, We're roommates for one of them, and now live in different states, but we plan to live together again soon. It's not the traditional, if neither of us are married by X date, let's give up and marry each other sort of deal. Neither of us can imagine being happier with someone else. The thing is, when I look back on past relationships, which were explicitly defined as romantic, the only thing I can think of that might distinguish them as romantic compared to my relationship with my friend was my willingness to participate in sex and kissing. I know that those things are neither necessary nor sufficient for romance. Some ace or touch-averse people have romantic relationships without them, and some people do these activities without feeling romance, so I'm left wondering if I really understand what romantic love means at all. From my experience with not realizing I was asexual for a long time, I know that it can be difficult to tell whether you understand slash have had feelings when you actually don't understand them because you haven't had them. My friend slash partner and I can't figure out whether what we feel for each other is romantic or if I just have never really felt romantic attraction before. Neither of us are particularly worried about it, but I'm curious because I want to understand how other people feel. At this point, my best guess would be that a romantic relationship is any relationship in which all participating parties would agree that it is romantic. But then, is romantic attraction just the feeling of wanting to be in a relationship with someone that you both agree is romantic? Obviously, different people have different ideas about what they would do and expect in a romantic relationship, but that being the only strict criteria doesn't seem right for me. And defining romantic love feels even more complicated, unrequited love being a thing at all. I'd appreciate any insight because I found it hard to get a helpful answer anywhere.
0: Oh, well, you came to two experts. (laughs) Well, first of all, I read about something called Boston marriages, which is an old timey phrase for when two women who were like friends married each other. I don't know that much about it, but it was like this idea of friendship and platonic love being just as important and people needing to pass property onto each other, et cetera, et cetera. And so they would have these marriages now, whether they're actually platonic or they were hiding being gay, who knows. But the point is, is that there is this concept and it's not unusual what you're describing of, of marrying your friend for, you know, different benefits and for companionship. Like it's not that wild, at least from what I'm seeing nowadays as like a resurgence of that kind of thing. Like, I think like, because people are more in touch with their actual needs and what they want, not just in the sense of like coming out with gender or sexuality, but also like with sexuality in terms of asexuality or aromanticism. There's words for these things that like didn't exist in the modern zeitgeist, in the national zeitgeist, in the international zeitgeist in the same way. So I think people are figuring out more nuanced descriptions of who they are and thus allowing for more nuanced types of relationships partnerships companionships you know
2: I want to say something really radical for this show go on I believe that the answer to this question not only might not exist but also doesn't matter
0: yes I also (laughs) think it doesn't matter look man I get like wanting to know what other people are experiencing because that you know Allison says this a lot like it's not normal it's common Where like, you know, it's like, oh, I want to know what other people are are feeling or thinking about this. Obviously, every song and every show and every movie is all about these romantic monogamous relationships and blah, blah, blah. And it's defined one certain way and everything like that. But I think it's just like common and also societal and not necessarily like normal or important if you don't experience it, you know, like.
2: But I also think you're setting yourself up for an impossible task because I think romantic love means different things to different people. A hundred percent, I don't think that there is one form of romantic love. I, you know, I think that, I don't even want to get into the nitty gritties of it because <laughs> I think I think this is like one of those things where like being okay with it not being clearly defined and mm-hmm. being okay living in the murkiness of just what works for you is like something that will help you. Versus feeling like you need to define it. You need to figure it out. You need to compare it to other people. Mm -hmm. You know, if you figured out that this person is a great life partner for you, whatever that means to you, then that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But Mm -hmm. trying to like fit it into a box and trying to answer this question that is going to have a different answer from everybody. I don't see how that serves you.
0: I almost feel like you're more of an expert than we are. Like, I'm like, why are you coming to us? Like, you've got it all figured out. You know exactly what your relationship with this person is. You seem to have great communication. You lived together for a year and didn't kill each other, incredible. <laughs> I think like all the markers of, you know, we've, we've been friends for this amount of time, we lived together, like those are all traditional markers, which like are good indicators that you're compatible. But, like, you have a better handle on what both of you want in this relationship and partnership than we do. And, like, I think romance looks completely different to different people. And some people, I, it is hard because I do have a, a big problem differentiating between platonic and romantic relationships. I would parse that out even further and say that I have an issue with platonic versus sexual relationships because I do think I've had platonic relationships that are romantic. And I was very uncomfortable with that for a long time. I was, I did not like sort of, I liked to, to use sex as the dividing line. What made them romantic? Just that like you're obsessed with each other and you're like, you know, it, it, it's different. I don't know. It feels different.
2: But you can't even describe it, right? I can't even describe it. No. I don't, you know, because- <laughs> When I go, oh, well, romantic for me is when, when there's a sexual component and a best friend component. But for a lot of people, they don't have that sexual component. For a lot of people, they don't have that best friend component. So yeah. it's an impossible thing to define.
0: Yeah, I feel differently. I feel like romantic doesn't necessarily include sexual. Like there's romantic friendships. Like, I don't know. I, I think like what's been great about everyone sort of talking about their lives more on the internet and the interconnectivity of the internet is that someone listening to this show can now hear what you just described and see themselves in it and realize that this is something that they can do. And this is like an option for them and their friend or, you know, something like that. Like you're going to meet so many people and there's all these different ways of living your whole life that are different and that might be compatible with some people and incompatible with other people. And wow, what an amazing breath of humanity. Yeah, Beans agrees. Beans just <laughs> Beans just shook his head.
2: I also think, you know, letting yourself open to the possibility that your relationship with this person might change over time. Right. So like anybody
0: could get divorced. I mean, it's like, you know.
2: Oh, but I'm just saying like in this, there might be times where it feels romantic. There might be Ah. times where it doesn't feel romantic. There might be times where you are interested in potentially exploring Mm -hmm. something physical and then realize that it's not for me. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. allow yourself the openness of, of not trying to put the relationship in a box or feeling like the relationship must stay stagnant and the same.
0: It it would be like okay, so physical in terms of sex, but also physical in terms of like cuddling mm-hmm. or like you know, like I I don't know, all those things are on the table. I, I like I felt very uncomfortable with that sort of murkiness, but like I have a friend who lays on me and cuddles with me, and I'm like have to like be like okay, it's like immersion, it's like immersion therapy, but it like you know I don't know, it's person to person.
2: Yeah. So. It was an unusual
0: answer to this
2: week's question, but hopefully it helped. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. And we might tell you, hey, don't even ask that question. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Hey, you're doing better than us. And you know more about your life than we do. And uh, thanks for writing in. Stick around. After the break, we'll be
2: asking Ellen Scanlon some tough questions all about cannabis. Ooh,
0: puff, puff, puff. I was about to say that. (laughs)
2: Back to just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting
0: tough questions. This week, our guest is Ellen Lee Scanlon, the host of How to Do the Pot. She interviews diverse modern women about their remarkable experiences with cannabis. Uh, Hello, Ellen. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's the pot episode. It's the pot (laughs) episode. Yay! Thank you so much for coming on. This is a topic mostly near and dear to Allison's heart, so I'll let her ask the first question.
2: (laughs) I guess just when did you first discover your love
3: of cannabis? Well, I've always really liked it. I probably tried it when I was 14 or 15 for the first time and then kind of took a break and... For me, it was always sort of about getting it, and it usually had to come through a guy. That was sort of the way my relationship with weed worked. And I sometimes I had a guy that had it in my life, and sometimes I didn't. And so that's why legalization is so amazing because I can just call a delivery service or walk into a dispensary and buy what I want. Um, so I got into the cannabis industry at the end of 2018, and I have been in it since then. And I absolutely love the plant. I use it for all kinds of different things that I never knew that it could be helpful with. And I'm super excited to hear how you use it and talk more (laughs) about it.
2: (laughs) I do want to do a a quick disclosure up front that I'm a pothead. We know this. I love my weed, but it's really actually kind of not safe to do when you're under 18.
3: Right. Would you agree with that? You know, honestly, under 21. And I mean, I have a three-year-old son and like, it's my dream that maybe he doesn't get into it until he's like 25 because Ah. your brain is still developing Mm -hmm. and there are just not a lot of studies and tests. And I think 21 is where the legal age is. So that's definitely what I would recommend. But I do think that waiting a little bit longer. And what's interesting, about cannabis though is sort of how much you consume. You know, I tried it for the first time when I was probably 14 or 15, but then I don't think I tried it again for a couple more years. And then, you know, it was like once or twice a year and then maybe I tried it. And I've had different points where my consumption has been a little bit higher, but for me, it's just never been a daily thing. And so I think that that also plays a role in it. You know, if you're going to try it once when you're 18 and then another time when you're 22, your brain development I'm not a doctor, but I, I don't think that, you know, that's yeah. going to be very harmful. But definitely, definitely 21 is the legal age.
2: Yeah. So we're not out here shouting its praises for for youngins. This is an adult conversation. <laughs> I yeah. just wanted to have that disclosure. <laughs> so what are some of the most surprising things that you have learned like working in this world?
3: Well, I think that the biggest and most sort of profound thing that cannabis helps me with is I have endometriosis. Mm-hmm. and I didn't even know that I had it until I went through a long fertility journey. And endometriosis, for those who don't know, affects one in ten women. It's an often very painful disease, and is really painful for me. And I get really bad cramps, and so I take CBD for the cramps. And you can, I can take it as a tincture sometimes. I can take it as, you know, a cream that I rub on the painful parts of my stomach, or a suppository. And after years of mydol and all of the, you know, painful even even stronger drugs that also have side effects. CBD for me is like a magic treatment and I really don't even need THC. Sometimes I'll maybe have a 20 to one CBD and THC tincture. So there's like a touch of THC in it, but CBD is totally legal for anyone all across the country. And so that's just a miracle part of cannabis for me. And, and I know that it helps a lot of women with endometriosis.
2: Can you break down the difference between CBD and THC?
3: Sure. So CBD is very simply the non-intoxicating part of the plant. Some people talk about it a little bit differently. Like you can say it's not psychoactive. And I don't like to say that because CBD helps me sleep. CBD like gets rid of my pain. CBD helps me with anxiety. And so it's definitely having an effect on me. It is not intoxicating for me though. THC on the other hand is, you know, what you think of if you don't think about weed very often, like that's THC. (laughs) And it's what makes you feel the euphoria, a little bit high, maybe a little bit silly. Some people Equate it with things like paranoia, which it also, you know, can bring out in some people. Nervousness, if you ha- if you, basically, if you take too much, it can have that effect on you. So uh, THC is the intoxicating part of the cannabis plant and CBD is non-intoxicating.
0: I always thought that the paranoia was just from it being illegal. Like the idea, like it's like, you know, like does pot actually make you paranoid or is it that you start being like, I'm going to get arrested? <laughs> if you take away getting arrested, what's there to worry about?
3: <laughs> That's so amazing that that's what you just brought up because our episode last week, we just started a new series called Weed Words. And our weed word for our Halloween episode was paranoia. And Mm -hmm. we dug into it kind of like the fun, the science, the stigma, the, the paranoia about weed that is like that weed's gonna make you feel paranoid, but also that you're just paranoid as we're all paranoid as a culture about cannabis. And there is a lot that goes on in your brain about expectations around cannabis. And if you are expecting it to be a stressful situation, you might have a stressful situation. Mm -hmm. I I think we all have like kind of talked ourselves into to different things, but there actually is some science that the higher THC strains are more likely to bring on paranoia. So if you're nervous at all about feeling paranoid, try a strain with like under 20% THC, take one or two hits, just take your time. And then you can generally feel your way into the, the situation that makes you feel your best.
2: Yeah. That was another one of my big questions is, you know, because I obviously talk about mental health a lot. And I've talked a lot about how weed helps me with my anxiety. And for a lot of other people, it's not worked for them, you know, and that it can trigger their anxiety or that it's not been a pleasant experience. And so is it true that there's just some people where this just isn't the right thing for you? Or do you really think it's worth kind of exploring these different strains, exploring these different um, ratios, exploring different ways to ingest it?
3: Well, I don't want anyone to do something they're not comfortable with. And and so if you're not comfortable and it just doesn't feel like the right thing for you, then stay away. If you're curious, but you don't really want to dig in, CBD really is, we call it sort of the gateway drug because you know you can try it and see how you feel. We all have an endocannabinoid system and an endocannabinoid system is, it's like the nervous system. It's like the cardiovascular system. It's just a system in our body. But what the endocannabinoid system does is it regulates and balances all the other systems. So for me, if I have kind of the right kind of cannabis, what makes me feel my best, what I actually feel is just super balanced. Like my mind and my body kind of feel in balance. I'm not the most fun person to get high with because I am usually like, how do you feel right now? How's your body? What's going on to my poor husband? <laughs> like, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? But it, it just really, really is individual because everyone has an endocannabinoid system. So I think that it's always start low, you know, start with a low dose. If, you, if someone hands you an edible, like cut it into four and try a mm-hmm. corner. And just the, the effects of cannabis are meant to be subtle. And if you are having an extreme reaction, maybe you've taken too much for that experience. And as you're figuring out how you want to feel, I just always recommend like one hit of a joint, you know, cut the edible, no shame in, in just asking for something lower, because hopefully this will be something that you can bring into your life in a super positive way for many, many years to come. And I just feel like it's my mission that no one have a bad experience with an edible. And edibles last a really long time. And I don't like edibles that don't have CBD in them. You know, even I've had to learn kind of how I feel and what is best. But edibles are easy, especially if you're not into smoking, but they last a long time. And so if you're trying to find your way into cannabis and you're okay with smoking a joint, that would probably be the way that I would... Recommend starting because it'll only last. I mean, if you take one hit from a joint, it'll only last a couple hours maximum versus an edible high, which, depending on how much you take, can last a really long time.
2: But even that's different, right? So for me, a joint lasts like probably less than an hour, an edible maybe lasts an hour or two max for me. You know, so like also your body is going to respond differently. And so it is really smart to start small. And what do you do though, if you find yourself that you are in the middle of having kind of a bad reaction that you are maybe freaking out while you're high?
3: Well, the best tip that I have is take CBD. So anyone who is interested in experimenting with cannabis, I would suggest getting a CBD oil tincture and it can be hemp derived. You can buy it online from anywhere. And If you feel like you've had too much cannabis, if you don't like how you feel, take a dropper of the, the, usually they come with a little dropper that has some um, measurement on it. And this happened to me probably three years ago. And I just took most of a dropper and you hold it under your tongue for 30 to 60 seconds. And in about 15 minutes later, you will feel more like yourself and a lot less high. So a little bit of a get out of jail free. (laughs)
0: When you were talking about using CBD for pain, what is the science behind that? Or how does that work? And what other sort of painful situations like physical pain can it be used for?
3: The way that I think about it, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I talk to a lot of doctors and CBD helps with inflammation. So any pain that's related to inflammation will likely respond to CBD. And THC, especially in balms and things like that, it blocks the pain signal to your brain. So that is sort of how the THC is helping with pain. For me, a lot of my pain is inflammation related. Like I've got like, you know, laptop wrist and laptop arm. And so I can use just a CBD cream and that helps me. But I had a dental surgery maybe two years ago and... You know, it turned out to be a lot more intense than I was expecting. I had two black eyes and like it was, I was in a lot, a lot of pain and I don't take painkillers very well. And I took what my dentist had given me and I, it just made me feel terrible. And so I was like, you know, I actually have a lot of weed around and I have a strain that's usually too strong for me, but it has more THC than what I generally prefer. And I tried that and I went from really feeling like I needed a painkiller about every three to three and a half hours to every seven. So Mm. doubling the time. And I only needed it for, you know, two or three days. So this is one of the reasons that people are really excited about cannabis as an alternative treatment for pain with opioids um, and things where people, you know, have a stronger chance of of developing something related to an addiction.
2: What are your thoughts on if it's possible to be addicted to weed?
3: Well, I I just look at the data and the data that I've seen says that about eight percent of cannabis consumers have a habitual relationship with the plant. It's about 16% of the US has a habitual relationship with alcohol. So it is real, it is there, but it's less than alcohol. I don't want to compare them or, you know, if you you know someone with an alcohol issue, you probably know fewer people with a cannabis issue, I guess is what the data kind of tells me. There is some data that the younger you start, the more likely you're going to fall into the category of cannabis use disorder. And so that's another reason why I think it's really important to just hold off on experimenting until you are over 21.
0: Yeah, we talk about that a lot. The fact that weed was illegal and then alcohol, is legal and the classification of things as like dangerous versus not dangerous uh, I come from a, a, an addict home and I would much rather my dad have been smoking weed than drinking whiskey. I know you said you didn't want to compare but I do think it is a, a fair comparison based on legality in the US. And can you talk about like some of what were some of the the stigmas or the roadblocks in terms of like people because I feel like now people are starting to take it more seriously, but like leading up what what was the problem? Why was it demonized?
3: Well, I mean, this actually we talk about this in our paranoia episode also. I mean, the word marijuana was a derogatory slang aimed at Mexicans in the 1910s who were bringing cannabis into the US. It had already been a common crop and then the depression happened and jobs were lost and immigrants were taking jobs and so it was sort of a demonization of the plant and the people that consumed it. We know a lot of stories like that. I think that it has been used, the war on drugs just weaponized the plant and it was used as a way to put people of color in prison. It's a really, really tough and terrible history. And I think one that not only was cannabis named an essential service during the pandemic because people need it for their medicine. And so it needed to be open. I think also all of the just the racial reckoning that happened in our country. Cannabis played a role in that. There's still Mm -hmm. 40,000 people in prison. In the U.S. for cannabis crimes, and most of them are black and brown. And so I think people are just having a lot of uncomfortable conversations and realizing that maybe what they learned wasn't true, which I mean, it's an uncomfortable feeling to think that something you just sort of took for granted may not be true. But uh, that has 100% 100% been my experience about cannabis and the more you learn the more fascinating it gets and i think that we all have an opportunity and and one of the reasons that i'm out here sort of a you know person who doesn't love to to be the face of something but it's just this is an incredibly important topic that we have in the conversation we have now about cannabis because we're in a new era this is a new mm-hmm. paradigm of legal cannabis and so let's talk about all the bad stuff so that we can make it better
0: yeah i would love to see reform done where all of those people are let out. And their convictions overturned.
3: And it's happening. Obviously, 40,000 people in prison is a huge, huge conversation to have. But there are so many people who have a cannabis crime on their record. And you can't get a student loan. You can't get an apartment. And so expunging records is actually something that is really, really important to me. And as newer states legalize, they're making that expungement part of an automatic process because it's still a complicated process. Process. In some states a few years ago, and I, I don't know all the data on this, but I know that it used to require a lawyer to help you to get your record expunged when the state just said that the crime you committed is no longer a crime. So it feels to me like it should be automatic.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. How do we be responsible cannabis users? Like, how do we interact with this in a responsible way?
3: I think the same way that you want to be a responsible consumer, you know, and whatever that means to you, like know who you're buying from. I am really, really focused on women and women playing a powerful role in the cannabis industry. We're 50% of the population and so should be 50% of the the leaders in cannabis. And so I always try to look for women owned Businesses and support those businesses. I think that just knowing where your cannabis comes from is sort of step one. It's complicated though. I mean, I live in California, which is sort of in a golden age of cannabis in many ways. You can walk in and it's like going to a Sephora and you can choose your products and you've got a lot of awesome options. But States with, with only medical use being legal or, you know, even newly legal states just don't have a lot of selection. And so if it's important to you that the cannabis industry is equitable, wherever you buy your weed, ask them to have a more diverse product offering. I think as a consumer, that's something that you can can do and can talk about and bring up that conversation because most brands in cannabis understand all of the complexities of cannabis, and I do think that they want to be on the right side of, of where this future is going.
2: Can we talk a little bit about cannabis and mental health and what role it plays there?
3: Well, I I was listening to your psychedelic episode and I think that the doctor that you had on or the scientist shared something that I I think is true. And I'm not a psychedelic expert. He is, it's a great show. You should go and listen. (laughs) But it feels like that has a lot of promise in like really, really helping people in a very profound and fast way. When I think about mental health with cannabis, I think that it lowers stress. You know, we talk a lot about how All cannabis use is medical use. Like, you know, even somebody who is consuming too much weed, maybe they're super anxious and this is their way of calming their anxiety. I know one of the things that I've always liked about cannabis, even before I knew really anything about it was... It generally made me feel calmer and more present and just a little bit more in my body. And so, from a mental health standpoint, I think that the challenge right now is finding a physician who is comfortable with cannabis and can help you to figure out how to navigate what else you might be taking or what you want to be taking. My personal story with anxiety and cannabis is this December. i have a three year old. It was a pandemic. I live in a small apartment. Like many mothers, I just was losing it and actually started getting having chest pains, like bad chest pains and I luckily know a lot of cannabis doctors. And so I was able to talk to, to one and and realize I was having kind of low-level panic attacks that just you know, weren't going away. And, and I thought about going on to a prescription medicine, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. And so when I talked to the cannabis doctor, she said, you can take a lot of CBD. I think that is what is going to help you. You're gonna have to take a lot more than you think you need. And so it was like 100 milligrams, 200 milligrams, of CBD, which is a lot of CBD. And I, I started doing that. And within three days, I felt better when I am anxious. I can take that amount when I'm less anxious, I take less. And so I think that talking to a cannabis doctor is a really, really important part of understanding how cannabis can help with mental health. But my personal experience with CBD has been really positive. I just needed a lot more than I thought to make it work.
0: We had a, uh... Woman on Monique Tula to talk about harm reduction when it comes to drugs. And I think you touched on something really important, which is that I think it dovetails with capitalism and with like productivity culture, where it's like, you know, when you say, oh, somebody who smokes a lot of weed, maybe they have a lot of anxiety. And I think like when you unpack, like, why is it bad to smoke a lot of weed? Is it because you're not going to get a lot of things done? Why do you need to get a lot of things done? And it kind of like goes back to this. Tweet that I really love that someone posted that was like, humans were really put on this earth to like eat fruit and vibe. And like, why are we all like working? (laughs) I think like there was like a making fun of people who, who are like hippies or who rely on weed to like feel good as like a, a, a thing coming out of capitalism, how dare they not work nine to fives? How dare they not have the same culture, you know, as like the people who slave away in offices or whatever, or, you know, do you see a lot of like weed culture kind of becoming less made fun of or like more, you know, legitimate?
3: Definitely to my face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's, going mainstream. But what bothers me is when I see it, like, I love to see it in a TV show. I love to see it in a movie. And I'm always so curious, as, you know, about the portrayal. And I think that even in fun, smart shows, sometimes it's like a little bit cliche. And I just think cliches are sort of, you know, they're interesting at first, and then they get boring really fast. And And so that's sort of where I feel like the cliches around cannabis are. And I have met Some of, I mean, not to, to like say productivity, yay, but I have met some of the most productive people ever who work in cannabis. Like it's a startup industry, it's all entrepreneurs, it's all hustlers. So that is kind of stigma number one to, to break down. I think what I always go back to and what I try to tell people who are curious about cannabis and, and don't know kind of where they want to start. I think it helps to keep, to make you feel more present and I've had a meditation practice for 13 years and what it has brought into my life is an ability to step into the present. And I always feel better there. And so if cannabis helps you feel more present and if it can even create sort of like that muscle memory of, Oh, remember when I felt that good, I could do that. And I can maybe just five breaths. I don't need to actually inhale the joint, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it means to you. But I just think it can open up your mind to feeling calmer, dropping your shoulders, feeling a little bit better, and then exploring how that could feel in the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, what about uh, as a mom? Because, you know, you see, again, you're talking about stereotypes. I mean, they portrayed it in a certain way in weeds, but I think there's, like, not a lot of positive portrayals of functioning mothers and weed.
3: And I think that the pandemic actually definitely sort of switch that up a little bit. Like there were a couple of strong Sunday New York Times style section, you know, front pagers (laughs) about parents. And there are a lot of, there have been just so many stories about parents. I mean, this can be a tricky conversation because I never want any child to be in danger. And that's not my area of expertise. But I think that from my experience as a responsible parent of a three-year-old, if I want to like feel intoxicated, I'm not gonna do it until he's asleep. It's just mm-hmm. like that's my personal preference mostly because a 3-year-old's really a lot to handle and they have like 27 emotions every minute and I need to <laughs> I just want my my faculties around me. My favorite kind of weekend cannabis dose is is a three to one edible, which is two milligrams of THC and six milligrams of CBD. And I would say it kind of feels like for me, like a glass of champagne, like you feel mm. a little bit up and bubbly. And that's kind of like something I'm, I'm okay with my son being around. Usually it's like, maybe I'll take it, as I'm giving him his bath and I know he's going to be asleep 45 minutes later. And so it probably won't hit until he's in bed. But if we're reading stories and I just like fall in love with a child story again, because reading <laughs> it feels extra fun that moment, then that's kind of, you know, not a bad Saturday night and during COVID.
2: <laughs> yeah. Or just how often do moms talk about having a glass of wine? You know, we don't jump down their throats about that.
0: Oh, I mean, it's it's the same kind of like sort of also like privilege conversation where you can, you know, somebody who doesn't know a lot could be like this druggy like, you know, mom of color who's in jail and who's in court and like all this stuff. And then like the white weed moms are like, I made weed brownies for everyone in my neighborhood or whatever. Um, it's just like this different conversation, but it does have a, a stigma against them. When like literally Allison's right, like Bed, Bath & Beyond sells like it's one o'clock somewhere.
2: So is there anything else that you feel like we just don't talk about enough when we're talking about the world of cannabis?
3: One thing that I've tried to do more myself and I think I would love for more people to do is bring up cannabis with your doctor. Mm. And, you know, I have found such relief for my endometriosis with my doctor and was a little bit nervous to tell her about it. But I also was like, this is important. You know, endometriosis is already a disease that doesn't have a pamphlet at the gynecologist. Like, why don't we have a pamphlet? Um, No one knows about it. And so I think that the more that patients ask their doctors questions, the more doctors will get curious and be interested in learning more. And I think research is really how we are all going to have a better relationship with cannabis. And there are, I'm sure, so many things that we think of as standard sort of anecdotal truths right now that when we are able to have more research, maybe we'll find out are different. And so whatever we can do to push more research is a super important part of working in this industry for me. And so, you know, if you, if you feel comfortable talking to your doctor, or even just asking your doctor where they stand, I think that that can, can help to create momentum.
2: Totally. Yeah. yeah, I know my doctors are always like, do you smoke? And I'm like, smoke what? <laughs> I've never touched a cigarette in my life, but
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think that the more you see things like how it treats seizures and how it can help with like a lot of real like physical problems, medical problems, I think is like, huge will be huge for research, hopefully people going through cancer treatments. I mean, it's just like it grows on this earth for a reason. Is what I think.
2: And there's definitely, you know, some risk involved with the smoking element of it all. And in my perfect world, I wouldn't be smoking. I would just be doing gummies, but you know, it's, it's tricky to find the right gummy that works for you in in the way that you mentioned it. And that like, you know, you have to wait a certain amount of time. And so if you're smoking for your anxiety, that hour to wait for it to kick in can be kind of tricky. (laughs)
3: Yeah. If you're smoking for your migraine, you know, Mm -hmm. there are certain conditions that uh, smoking really, it's very, very fast acting. And I have a doctor on my show a lot named Dr. June Chin, who's an amazing resource. And if you're vaporizing cannabis, she says, to, and you have a pen that you can set the temperature, 390 degrees seems to be like the sweet spot of where it's like coming into your system in sort of an optimal way. So just another little tip from Dr. Chin.
2: Thank you so much for talking to me about one of my favorite subjects. Um- <laughs> <laughs> would you like to play a game show?
3: I would like to play a game show. <laughs>
2: Yay! Yay! We should play hypotheticals high one time, Gabby. Obviously. What do you mean obviously? We're on like episode 120 of this show. We've never done it.
0: <laughs> That's true. But we would have to have a guest on that we would say, okay, show up high. Yeah. So Ellen's coming back. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to come back
2: for for April, the next April twentieth episode. I'd love um, to. <laughs> what I should really do is I should try to come up with these while high. That would be interesting oh my
0: god!
2: See, that seems obvious to me. <laughs> The fact that I've come up with all these sober really says something. Okay. (laughs) So hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you some hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. Then you tell me what you would do in that situation. All right. And I pick the winner based purely on how I feel in the moment, who I like more. You get it. Okay, great. Our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of four years gets fired from their job for no real reason. Incredibly upset, they go out for drinks with some colleagues. And one of them mentions they have a friend who would probably hire your partner and they will put in a good word. Your partner is so excited to hear this that they kiss their colleague on the mouth and end up making out for two minutes and 15 seconds before they remember that you exist and stop. Would you stay with this cheater who got caught up in the moment?
3: Was there a prior relationship between these two people or was this totally spontaneous?
2: Totally spontaneous. Is the other person good
0: looking? Yes. Assume everyone in hypotheticals is good looking, (laughs) Gabby, from this day forward. (laughs) It's interesting because I thought you were going to say that they they meet up with the recruiter and then they kiss that person to try to get a job. That's
2: why I had a twist.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a twist. Why They got fired for no reason?
2: No reason. The boss just didn't like the looks of them. Can we sue? Yeah, you're probably going to end up suing you.
0: Okay, interesting. All right, then I'll stay. Two minutes and 15 That seconds. is longer than you would think. They
2: had a few drinks. They had a really tumultuous day. Lots of ups, lots of downs. But they forgot
0: I existed. That is part of this. Yes, they did, yeah. That is rough.
3: I would stay, I think we, I would need to be, like, taken on a weekend away to make up for it. <laughs> Ooh, I like you know, that. Get some quality time. I like, like that. We connect. You know, we might have to talk about it for, like, an hour longer than my partner would want, but that would be my <laughs> gift. <laughs> I would also like a trip. <laughs> I
2: like that. <laughs> and if you didn't get the trip, then you would leave, but with the trip, you would stay. <laughs> yeah, 100%. All right. That's a good answer. I accept it. Hey, (laughs) Ellen, you won! A little negotiating. (gasps) (laughs) Okay, our next game is, is this a date? You run into an old acquaintance from college and make a plan to grab coffee and catch up. But when they text you to confirm, they say that they forgot they had booked a dinner reservation at a super fancy and exclusive restaurant weeks earlier, and would you want to just go there instead? Is this a date? Tricky. They don't have another friend that they could take to this?
3: I don't know. That's all the information you have. How close were you, you know, in the early part of the relationship?
2: You had a lot of classes with this person, but you never hung out with them one-on-one outside of class.
3: It's a date. But you would sit next to them in class. It's a date.
0: I'm leaning toward it's a date. Ooh! How exclusive is this restaurant? It's
2: 20% less exclusive than the French Laundry.
0: Wow. It's a date.
2: Yeah, it's a date. Because
0: there are a couple restaurants from Chef's Table that I would love to go to, but the reservation list is so long. So if it's one of those, it's a date, but I am going. You're going on the date? <laughs> yeah. Would that woo you? more? Like if you were kind of
2: on the fence about the person with that?
0: I think yes, because I would be like, they're responsible. They're the type of person who clearly has an interest as in they're a foodie. They, they could make long-term plans. They want to treat me well. These are all positives that I'm learning about them through this interaction.
2: Definitely. How would you feel if at the end they made you split the
3: bill?
0: Ooh, okay. Then it's not a date, but I also get it. Like if it's, you know what I mean? If it's not a date, then I completely understand splitting the bill.
3: Yeah, I do too. I think it feels like kind of an experimental date, maybe on both parts, (laughs) especially if it really was forgotten. You're like, hey, I liked this person. You know, maybe there's something we can see we can have this fun experience together and I'll either, you know, pay for it and it'll be a date or and the paying for it thing. I don't know. It's so hard. hard to. So but I think I would go and I would think it was a date.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And then when you have to split it, be like, oh, I'm a bad date.
0: Oh, because it maybe it was a date, but then they decided mid date not to make it a date. Yeah, that hurts. That hurts. It hurts.
2: (laughs) But don't worry, the waiter at the restaurant is actually your soulmate. (gasps) Huge twist.
0: I love that for me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, our final game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, 14, wants to play football, but you don't want them to play because it is so dangerous. They throw a fit, so as a compromise, you say that they can play, but only under the condition that they have extra padding wrapped around their head at all times during practice and games using saran wrap. Everyone makes fun of them and they end up quitting the team. Are you a terrible parent?
3: I think that's a pretty good trick to get your kid (laughs) not to play football (laughs) on their own. (laughs) I mean, not that I want anyone to be made fun of, but it's kind of smart. (laughs) Would you say genius? Potentially genius.
0: (laughs) Gabby? Uh, I would literally just be like, you're not allowed. Like I would just be like, no, (laughs) like I would be like, look, man, like you want to play soccer. You want cleats like you want like, you know, my idea is that if I ever have kids, I'm going to push them hard towards basketball because that's one of the only sports where you can wear the sneakers to school and all. like you don't need any extra stuff. The sneakers are the whole thing and you can wear those to school and to games. And I don't need to pay for like hockey gear or cleats or football gear or anything like that. It's the most cost effective sport you can have your kid play. Oh, long-term uh, so,
3: planner. Thank I like you. It. Thank
0: you. Uh, I'm not having children, but thank you. Uh, so I'm going to say no, and I'm going to. You're you're a good parent, but you shouldn't have even done that. You should have just been direct and steered them towards basketball.
2: This is the only thing your kid has ever wanted to do. They've never wanted to do anything before this. You had to let them try.
0: No, I want to. I'll be like, if you play basketball, I'll get you whatever. I'll get you the most expensive Jordans, whatever you want. They
2: hate basketball.
0: I don't care what they hate.
2: They hate it. <laughs> Every time they walk into a gym, they get hit in the head with a basketball.
0: Oh, come on.
2: That happened to me a bunch. Come on. Multiple times I walked into the gym and I got hit in the head with a
0: basketball. (laughs) Ow. At least one time. Anyway. (laughs) I played for years. I played all of middle school, all of high school. It was very rewarding.
2: I played in the eighth grade, but then I went in the middle of a game. The girl I was defending just looked down and laughed at me, and so I quit.
0: You know, I would say there's a lot of stories of yours, Allison, where, like, there's a minor inconvenience or, like, something very, like, minorly bad happens, and you quit. I'm a huge
2: quitter. Always have been, always will be. I love to quit.
0: <laughs> well, I Ellen says, yes, you're a good parent. I say no, because you should... Tell them directly that you would prefer they play basketball. Ellen wins. (laughs) Why? I get to decide. Fine. Whatever.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. This was so informative and helpful. Where can people find out more about what you're doing and listen to your pod?
3: Thank you. Well, the, the podcast is called How to Do the Pot, and it's available wherever you listen. You can go to our website, dothepot.com, and we're on socials at do pot also.
2: And the website has a lot of really helpful information in addition to the podcast episodes, like article blogs that dive into each topic even more, which is super great. That's my plug for it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. This was so wonderful.
3: Great to be with you guys. I love your show. Keep it up.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about what we would do if we were president
0: and had control of Congress.
2: Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics.
1: X, 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 baby. No! Melissa!
2: (laughs) Melissa, are you joining us?
1: (laughs) Sure. Why not?
2: Hi!
0: Yes! Yes!
2: Gabby was on their phone. Didn't come in in time. Melissa, (laughs) picking up the slack. Love it.
0: (sighs) I was sending Melissa the video. Anyway, it's fine. Hi, guys. So, Melissa, why did you want to join us?
1: Well, mainly because you weren't paying attention. So I just (laughs) didn't want to leave Allison Hanky. I'm
0: sending it to you. I just got it. You
2: say that like you were supposed to send it right now. You're supposed to send it at the end of the show. (laughs)
0: I'm being um, proactive. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I'm sure Melissa has answers to this.
2: I love it. Okay, so this is the scenario. You are president. You also have complete control of Congress. Anything that you want to pass can be passed. What is on your agenda?
0: Disbanding the military. See ya. No more military. Completely? <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I'm president, I'm a war criminal. So I don't want any of that blood on my hands. All right. I'm just going to play this game with Melissa. <laughs> Why? I'm sorry to people who think that some presidents are good people, but if you've gotten to the place of being president, you're a monster. Okay. Fine. Whatever.
2: What would you do, Melissa? <laughs> I'd get
1: rid of the electoral college. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Woo! I'd put term limits on Congress.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yep.
1: to go on theme with what we were talking about for the episode, I'd let people out of prison for having marijuana, which is legal almost everywhere now, in some form, medical or completely. Let's see. What else would I do?
2: Would you legalize marijuana federally?
1: Yes. So then everyone can fly with it without having to worry about that either. Love it.
2: Yeah. I would also uh, overturn Citizens United, take money out of politics. Yeah. I would decriminalize sex work. Yes.
1: That's on my list, too. Yes. It's a good one.
0: I would build a monorail from New York to California. (laughs) 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 A big monorail. Bring it back. Bring back railroad travel. Railroad travel still exists. Not in the way. No, because air travel cut it. So I'm a lightning speed monorail. That's your second item. You go get rid of all military and
2: build a monorail. I'm scared living in your world.
0: (laughs) Okay, the people who are in the military who are now jobless, Boom. they work on the monorail. You
2: understand though that other countries would still have militaries.
0: Well why would they attack us? We're nice. Are you
2: kidding me? Oh
0: my god. <laughs> they would never want to attack us cuz they w- they come to the US, they see the monorail. It's clean. It runs efficiently. And they're like we already have this.
2: <laughs> Universal healthcare? Yes. Universal healthcare, baby. Universal pre-K. Yes. Yeah. Child care, free child care. Mm-hmm. No student loans. Yes. Public college free. Yes. yes. Very good.
0: Infrastructure jobs, building mm. a second monorail. Oh
2: my god. Melissa's <laughs> eyes literally just went to the back of her head. Melissa's
0: so mad at me, but you'll see <laughs> I'm gonna run on the
1: platform of building a monorail. No, no, the military is where I I was already done.
0: People are gonna <laughs> love it. They're gonna love it. They're gonna <laughs> go from Florida. To Washington State, lightning speed, baby. Four hours. We'll get you there in four hours or your money back. Four hours? That's, that's like I'm a plain. point. But, I know. Yeah, it's
2: not that fast.
0: <laughs> no, it is. But you don't have to be in the sky.
1: I'm surprised you don't have it to be free since you're talking about money back.
0: It is free. What did I say? Oh, Money it's, back. Free <laughs> it's free monorail? It's free. Yeah, it's free. Oh, and while you're there, it teaches you about U.S. history that you may otherwise not have known.
1: Okay, I'm on for this part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got me on one issue.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I would change a lot of education. I would get rid of all these tests that aren't any good.
1: Yeah, Correct. I'd also, like, get rid of all these tests. Also, teach actual history. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Which people will learn on the monorail. Yeah. Oh
1: I know. As I said, I was with you on that that one issue.
0: <laughs> Every time you you go over land, it tells you what indigenous people that land was stolen from and gives you a full history of them. And you Great. have to watch it. You Love can't this. blink. You can't sleep. You can't look away. I'm off again. What? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> well, uh, people could just sleep through it, and it's very necessary. But what if you ride it all the time? You have to watch the same thing all the time.
1: There's so much history no. you can rotate it. Yeah,
0: it's different. You can get different ones. I would also get rid of Columbus Day. Screw that shit. Am I right? Yeah. I mean it. It's almost
2: gone. We gotta get rid of filibuster. See you later.
0: Abortion protected and legal forever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I would make it so that school doesn't start at like 7 a.m.
2: Yeah. What time? Like nine? Nine's good.
0: I give him nine. You know what? I'm going to blow it up and start from the beginning. I'm going to just <laughs> okay. wipe
2: it clean The
1: Genesis. and start
0: over. Uh, the whole government. Just wipe it clean yeah. and start over. Build a new one.
1: Also, naps. Ooh. No more 40-day work weeks. Yes. And maternity and paternity leave can be yes. like six months.
2: Yes. Yes. I'd love that. Also, something with the prison system, but I don't know the right answer, but not what's happening now. Yeah, it needs to... I'm all for
1: prison being reformed.
0: Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Knock it all down. Start over. Take the whole thing out like a bad Jenga game. Start from the beginning. All right. Maybe that's our
2: takeaway. We'd start from the beginning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) First stop,
1: monorail. Oh, my God. I'd like for Allison to be my running mate and... I don't know where Gabby would fit, but... Uh,
0: Transportation! Pete Buttigieg's job that he has now.
1: Mm, yeah. I'm going to go with no. Yeah,
0: I think I think be <laughs> better in a civilian role. <laughs> On the streets. On the streets with the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Uh, fine.
1: As long as you don't oversleep.
0: Well, why do you think school has to... Yeah, why do you think school's got to start later? Hello? Oh,
2: my God.
0: <sighs> why do we rate this bad shit episode? <laughs> yeah, I rate this episode like 13 out of 12, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> and that's it. Thank you to Alex Galen for being our guest. Just between us is hosted by me, Alice Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn, and it is a Forever Dog production. Produced by Melissa D. Montz, edited by Coco Lorenz, executive produced by Brett (laughs) Bohm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at
2: youtube.com
0: slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash show. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team. To keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also at She Is Not Melissa, at Allison Raskin, and at Gabby Road. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Forever Dog.